this effort to establish a value system that drove the work and how we would make decisions was probably the best two weeks we spent because it's guided every decision since then. And it's things like, is it 100% green or not? Are you aiming for efficiency? Are you thinking about how the target's formed, but also you know, how you get there is as important as getting there in and of itself, meaning do you bring the whole community along and do you have an opportunity to pause and make sure you bake in collaboration and support for communities around you so that you can bring The urgency of climate change and the opportunity for local economic benefits has motivated over 150 U.S. communities to adopt a 100% renewable energy pledge. In this episode, we explore pursuit of this goal at the small scale in Hanover, New Hampshire, population 11,000. I spoke with April Salas, Sustainability Director of the Town of Hanover in January 2021 about the community's development of and pursuit of its 100% renewable energy goal. I'm John Farrell, Director of the Energy Democracy Initiative at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, and this is a special Voices of 100% episode of Local Energy Rules, a bi-weekly podcast sharing powerful stories about local renewable energy. April, welcome to Local Energy Rules. Thank you so much, John. It's really great to be here. Normally, I ask folks who are in this role about their path into renewable energy, but I feel like that question was rather simplistic. Having read your bio, you direct the Reavers Center for Energy at Dartmouth's Tuck School of Business. You've run energy policy initiatives at the White House and the Department of Energy. So I thought you could certainly talk about kind of what got you motivated to get involved in clean energy, but I'm kind of curious, was it harder to move things through the federal government or to get a 100% renewable energy goal through a town council in New Hampshire? And what motivated you to get involved at the local level after having such work at the federal level? Yeah, that's a great question, actually. It always makes me chuckle because I actually get that quite a bit, you know, especially in the academic space. Is it harder? Is it harder in academics, in higher ed or or the federal government? Who has more bureaucracy? And I guess, you know, I'd have to say the federal government wins. It's been great. I I am so fortunate to live and work in a town that is really progressive, you know, and and I can't even take full credit for all the hard work that's been done. I I moved here in 2016 and I joined a sustainable Hanover committee full of incredible volunteers who had been pursuing and pushing forward really ambitious renewable energy, energy efficiency, and other sorts of, of goals for a number of years prior to my arrival. And so it was really this this amazing group of men and women, uh, community members who, who comprised this, this committee and with the leadership of our, our town manager, our public works director, our planning and zoning director. So it was really a, a really seamless thing to step into and all their hard work laid, laid the foundation. So I think uh, it's been quite easy getting things through our town process. And I think that's really because we have a secret power, which is by virtue of our size, we're able to look other people in the eye, have conversations around the table, and really talk through the issues. And so getting things pushed through has actually been surprisingly easy and enjoyable. That is great to hear. And I'm hoping that there'll be kind of more as we talk about how, uh, you know, being small and being well-connected and being able to have those face conversations, at least pre-pandemic anyway, has helped in terms of some of the implementation or the ideas for moving forward. I want to talk a little bit about the goal itself. So it's 100% renewable electricity community-wide by 2030. Pretty ambitious here because we're now in 2021. So we're down to less than a decade. 
I'm curious, is there more to the goal than that? Are there other pieces of it, like around transportation and housing energy use, for example? And then what options does the town have to reach that goal? You know, does it own an electric utility, for example, as we've seen like in Burlington, Vermont? Those are all great questions. And, and I actually didn't even talk about your, your other question about what motivates you to get involved at the local level after so much work at the national level. And it's really, it's honing in on this, this question you've just asked about thinking about setting an ambitious target. And I, and I must say, some cities take the approach of having a fully baked plan when they establish their target. We did not take that approach. We set an ambitious target and then we decided, okay, how do we how do we really back into achieving this? Does this feel achievable? And that's the real motivation is is taking that sort of broad sweeping view of opportunities across the country, looking at it from the federal level, and then really sinking your teeth into the action, the hard work implementing these these ideas, these really ambitious goals. So for us, we took a really progressive view on what this means for Hanover. We elected to adopt the community-wide view, which is actually not not that common. A lot of a lot of cities are adopting this for their municipal facilities or for you know certain segments of of their communities. And we really wanted to make sure we brought the whole community along. In addition to uh, renewable electricity, and and when I the way that we define that is actual the electrons that are going into the system. So we are really intent on generating renewable power, having those green electrons being delivered to residents and business owners and municipal operations in the town of Hanover. In addition to that, we adopted a 2050 goal for thermal, so building energy and as well as transportation. So we have our electricity goals well underway. We're also keeping an eye on opportunities to take advantage of of really laying the foundation, some of the frameworks that we had to to do to get our electricity goals underway so that we we can take uh, advantage of of opportunities as they come along for transportation, mainly thinking about things like EV charging infrastructure or retrofitting our town facilities with cold climate heat pumps and maybe reducing the amount of, of fuel or propane that we're using to heat our buildings. So that's been really exciting. But coming back to your first question around sort of what that looks like, no, we don't we don't own an electric utility. So when we step back and think about how in the world we're going to achieve this, because we're talking about, you know, involving our small businesses, involving our big institutions and covering municipal operations and encouraging residents to also come along with us, you know, it's going to take an all of the above portfolio approach. You mentioned that one of the things that was kind of motivating was to set this ambitious goal without having all of the pieces in place. Is that part of what you will do is to kind of lay out a plan? I, for example, we did an interview with folks from Saint, the city of St. Louis, and they were kind of in the final stages of their sort of pathways plan. So they had committed to their goal and then they were looking at, okay, well, what are some of the different ways that we can get there? So is there a formal plan in the works? Is, are there certain people that are responsible for that? And what progress has been made so far? And you know, wanting to acknowledge that in many cases, folks are already sort of charging ahead, even as they're laying plans. Absolutely. And we are certainly no stranger to that approach. And our town manager is very proactive. She likes to get things done. And that has been really helpful. As a sustainability director, it's really my job to be the glue that ties the official work that the town's doing in support of the town manager and those other directors that I mentioned in public works and zoning to what happening in our our Sustainable Hanover Committee and our Energy Subcommittee, and then to draw some connectivity to the large, our large users. So our businesses and and institutions that are already procuring energy, you know, the more sophisticated folks, they're maybe already procuring energy 
in the third-party markets and making different decisions. And we want to make sure we can align with them in terms of our values and, and hopefully get them on board to, to come along with us on this journey. So I'd say, you know, overall, the plan has been a little bit of an all-of-the-above approach. A formal written plan, yes, in the form of PowerPoint slides, so not a traditional plan that you might expect that's written prose in chapters and chapters long. And our, and our plan really involves the municipal operations for taking care of itself. We unleashed our sustainable handover on the residential side and small commercial And then a lot of my job is really focused around institutional, large commercial, and then again, supporting that municipal transition. And so, so far, in addition to changing things like our zoning laws and regulations to allow for residential solar, exempting solar from our tax assessment, so so residents wouldn't fear their property tax bills going up. We also completed a foresight study on municipal plots of land that identified opportunities for community solar, future community solar. So really, days before the end of 2020, we actually, literally, I got to flip the switch on a 702 kilowatt system for municipal load, which I literally just finished uh, totaling our our end-of-year numbers, and we went from a total installed capacity of about 1,600 kilowatts to about 4,000, and we're expected to jump to 5,000 by the end of 2021. So I'd say it's been all hands on deck and really looking at this, this portfolio approach, which will include a lot of behind-the-meter solar. We are really encouraging our, our residents to solarize as, as much as they can. Equity is obviously very, very important to us, and this year has been no different from any other community. We have been looking really hard at our program designs, Specifically at how we really didn't realize our programs were oriented towards homeowners. And maybe we were leaving out renters or, or folks who were here for less than, you know, for, for whatever reason, were, were coming and going, and they didn't necessarily have access to solar. So we just closed on our first community solar project where residents could buy fractional ownership of a community solar array. And they, we have residents from apartment buildings, renters. It's a real, it's a really nice mix of people, people who own their homes but couldn't solarize for whatever reason because too much shade or their roofs didn't support it. So that was a really big win for us. So again, solarize, solarize, solarize. I think those, those kind of neighborhood projects are also really helpful in getting you, knowing your neighbors, understanding the motivations within the community, and then really supporting our small commercial. We have had a really good partnership with Liberty Utilities and have housed a lighting efficiency, you know, expert in our public works department so that he could go around and really as much as as they were willing to take advantage of some of these opportunities could access some of those energy efficiency funds. And so that's been a really help as well. And then really lastly is, is how we look at opportunities to leverage our convening power between the town of Hanover, which also buys in the wholesale markets, which is slightly confusing and most towns don't, but we can access, you know, lower cost power through wholesale, through the wholesale markets. And we have looked at procuring larger wind projects or larger solar projects with maybe Dartmouth College or another big commercial user. So aggregating demand, kind of like you see corporations doing, getting a bunch of their friends together and, and buying all are part of a renewable system. So that's definitely in the pocket. And then lastly, we've had some legislative change that has recently allowed communities to adopt community power 
and default their residents into the program. And so they have to opt out if they don't want to be a part of the program. So we have very, very recently, I don't even think the ink is dry, just signed our joint powers agreement and we'll be forming with a collection of other towns, Community Power Coalition of New Hampshire, which means then we will be defaulting all of our residents into this community power program, which we're very, very excited about. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, I ask about the development of Hanover's 100% renewable energy goal, the role of equity in its implementation, and advice that April has for other small communities pursuing ambitious renewable energy goals. You're listening to a Local Energy Rules Voices 100% interview with April Salas, Sustainability Director of the Town of Hanover, New Hampshire, about the community's 100% renewable energy goal. Hey, thanks for listening to Local Energy Rules. If you've made it this far, you're obviously a fan and we could use your help for just two minutes. As you've probably noticed, we don't have any corporate sponsors or ads for any of our podcasts. The reason is that our mission at ILSR is to reinvigorate democracy by decentralizing economic power. Instead, we rely on you, our listeners. Your donations not only underwrite this podcast, but also help us produce all of the research and resources that we make available on our website and all of the technical assistance we provide to grassroots organizations. Every year, ILSR's small staff helps hundreds of communities challenge monopoly power directly and rebuild their local economies. So please take a minute and go to ILSR.org and click on the Donate button. And if making a donation isn't something you can do, please consider helping us in other ways. You can help other folks find this podcast by telling them about it or by giving it a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The more ratings from listeners like you, the more folks can find this podcast and ILSR's other podcasts, Community Broadband Bits, and Building Local Power. Thanks again for listening. Now, back to the program. That's great. I actually meant to ask you about that specifically since we first ran across one another at that Radically Rural conference talking exactly about community choice energy. So it's great to hear that that's part of the strategy that you've already thinking about and and already moving forward on in Hanover. I was hoping to take a, a step back for a minute and just ask you about how the goal was developed. You talked about how coming into Hanover, there was already this really well-organized sustainability committee that was working on these issues. You've had a lot of support from folks in the city. Was there a sort of a broader community organizing effort? Who was involved in kind of envisioning the goal and getting the town to adopt it ultimately? We had the fortunate opportunity to work with Sierra Club, Upper Valley Chapter, and a few other organizations who really helped us harness the groundswell, I think, campaign that ultimately formed our neighborhood action group. And so we we had, again, kind of a subset of the sustainable Hanover effort, broadly supporting Sierra Club and their effort nationwide, really, to, to encourage communities to adopt the R100 targets, the Ready for 100 targets. And so we were on that list and ultimately became the first state in the, the first city, the first town in the state of New Hampshire. Now I think we're up to four or five, which we're really excited about. And there's another handful that are, you know, that have equally aggressive deep decarbonization goals. And we're proud of them as well. We, we really feel like that organizing framework was really helpful in us connecting with our community members across Hanover. I mean, it gave us an opportunity to, to, you know, in a pre-COVID environment, be inside their homes, ask them questions, what were they excited about, what scared them, and to really get a sense of where they felt like they stood on climate change, on the importance of renewable energy, the importance of feeling like they could contribute to the overall goal. And so I think that ultimately led to the success that we saw in 2017 at town meeting when 
you know, in a town meeting form of government, we all gather in the high school gymnasium and literally raise our hands in yay or nay for, for the adoption and endorsement of this goal. And that's what happened. It was a really powerful moment. I was there. I brought my kids. It was just a really awesome opportunity to see I don't even know how to describe it. It was kind of unfolding uh, before your eyes and, and the feeling of raising your hand and, and, and something passing, you really feel a part of the movement. And I think we've felt that ever since as we've been trying to drive towards implementation. That's a great story. And just, I love sort of the traditional New England town meeting aspect of that. There's so many other communities where maybe there's a city council vote, maybe it's a local ballot initiative. But just that idea of folks gathering, having already had lots of conversations in the community, and then coming together to pass it is a great part of that story. Absolutely. And then the other thing is when we got, a, you know, of course, we had the, the uh-oh moment. Now what do we do? But we all huddled again in a, in a little conference room in one of our public libraries and, and really got to work on trying to figure out what values were going to underpin our work. So how would we make a determination as we got started in all this? what we would and wouldn't do. We knew there'd be infinite possibilities for how to get to 100. Certain technologies would cost more, cost less. But how do we think about an organizing framework? And that's where this effort to establish a value system that drove the work and how we would make decisions was probably the best two weeks we spent because it's guided every decision since then. And it's things like, is it 100% green or not? Are you aiming for efficiency? Are you thinking about how the target but also, you know, how you get there is as important as getting there in and of itself, meaning do you bring the whole community along and do you have an opportunity to pause and make sure you bake in collaboration and support for communities around you so that you can bring the broader network along? And we wanted to support living wage jobs, create business opportunities. So all of these were really important foundational guidelines and values that underpin the work that we've been doing for the last three, four years. I'm so glad that you are talking about the, sort of the values behind this. We've seen historically energy development, you know, with fossil fuels has tended to disproportionately put pollution burdens, energy burdens on low-income folks and communities of color. I was curious if in the planning around those values or in the pledge itself, if the Renewable Energy Pledge talks about an approach to equity as, as part of the 100% goal. Yeah, and the way that we said, the way that we characterized it was a resilient and healthy community powered by affordable and clean renewable energy. And so equity was always at the center of it. But I think like many people and many communities, we paused. 2020 gave us pause. We stopped. We reflected. We internally, we brought in resources and experts from Dartmouth College, from across, you know, national, national experts to help inform our view on equity and inclusion and environmental justice. And we're still learning, I'm telling you. I mean, and it's been incredibly powerful for the, com for the committee to do this together. So we have already formed a diversity and equity committee, and it is guiding back to like procurement, back to program design. We, were, we had these hunches that things were happening like, gosh, at each of our annual forum, we keep seeing the same 300 people. How do we reach more people? How do we reach people that we aren't already reaching? So we had some hypotheses in our head that we were observing in the earlier days. And I think we really turned the dial up in this last year to say, no, no, this is not only a priority, but it's an imperative. And we, we can't get there. We're willing to slow down a little bit so that we can bring everyone along. And that's how we're thinking about going forward is how do we create a construct that brings everyone along and that we even redefine what makes, what, how we define community member. 
And that might include someone who works here during the day but doesn't live here at night. That might include, you know, college students who are here for four years or two years. It's in renters. There's there's all kinds of, of walks of life and we want to encourage everyone to feel like they have a place in this in this journey because that's how we'll be successful in achieving 100% by 2030. As a member of the college yourself, but also in a community that has a prestigious local college, are there advantages in both the implementation and having that institution in Hanover? Yeah, it's a fantastic question. And I would say, of course, we have a world-class research institute engineering capabilities. There's an entrepreneurial ecosystem, you know, world-class faculty. The student body is incredible. The staff with deep, deep expertise. So it makes our committees really rich. It makes the community really eager for participation and action. And it also means when we have questions, we have a really amazing resource to tap into to help point us in the right direction. And it's it's as much as a question that you just asked around diversity and then being able to bring in Dr. Matt Delmont to, to help us understand sort of historical underpinnings of environmental justice. You know, thinking about marketing and reaching marketing and reaching our, our consumers in a way that we feel like embodies our values and, and and then leveraging Professor Kevin Keller to help us think through he's a he's a, a nationally recognized branding expert. So it's just been really nice to be able to engage the college. Equally, the students are, are very eager to give back and to be a part of the broader community outside of the college itself. And they, they lo- they're, they're getting to engage in, in local politics and not politics per se, but implementation of, of something that was adopted locally and, and then actually being able to see it to fruition and drive by the solar system that maybe they did a technical study to help support the analysis on. I mean, that's a really engaging thing for a young person to experience and then take with them out into the real world, um, you know, wherever they may go after their time here as an experience and, and a reminder to be thoughtful and giving in the community that you live in because it, it is the richness of the environment. So we've really, really benefited. And then on the third front is really the partnership around climate and clean energy has really flourished between the town and the college. So in, in 2017, we adopted our targets. And then 2017, President Phil Hanlon also endorsed our Green Futures Report for Dartmouth College, also resetting the college's intentions and and purpose around uh, climate and clean energy. So those two things happened within about a month of each other. And I'm not going to say we weren't very nervous that one or the other wouldn't pass, but we're, we're really fortunate we don't have to think about that. It's laid the framework and foundation for a much richer partnership. April, I just want to say how much I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me about your work and the work in Hanover to advance renewable energy. Is there any advice that you could offer to other small communities that are trying to both set and achieve ambitious renewable energy and climate goals? I would say keep at it. Engage your your community members. There's a lot that you can do at your own home or within your own on your own street or within your own neighborhood. If you don't have an energy committee, think about forming one. And one thing that we've been really blessed by is the organization Urban Sustainability Directors Network. So if you have, if you live in a town that has access to at least some partial funds for a sustainability director, this USDN network has been really amazing for us. 
as we turn towards implementation as a network to see what everybody else is doing across the country. And they have a pricing structure that is just wonderful for small communities like ours to be able to afford to be a part of in, in the membership. And so I'd say that's been just an amazing resource for us as we've as we've grown. But don't be afraid to, to just ask the questions and try to build that local coalition on your own. And otherwise, reach out. We, we'd love to hear from you. April, thank you again for joining me to talk about the work in Hanover. I'm excited to share it with others and best of luck as you continue to pursue this ambitious renewable energy goal. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, John. Thank you so much for listening to this Voices of 100% episode of Local Energy Rules with April Salas, Sustainability Director of the Town of Hanover, New Hampshire, about the community's 100% renewable energy goal. On the show page, look for links to several documents and stories about the town's goals, including the recent powering up of a new solar array for municipal needs. On our website, you can also find our community power map that shows every community with a 100% community-wide renewable energy goal, and our interactive community power toolkit that provides audio, video, and stories of how communities have made progress toward their goals. Local Energy Rules is produced by myself and Maria McCoy, with editing provided by audio engineer Drew Birschbach. Tune back into Local Energy Rules every two weeks to hear more powerful stories of communities taking on concentrated power to transform the energy system. Until next time, keep your energy local, and thanks for listening.